Well, good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. Easter. New clothes. Easter bunny, Easter baskets, got an Easter egg hunt. At our, at our house, it's not Easter until you watch the musical Easter Parade. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie, but I can tell you more than one is more than enough. But anyway, it was on yesterday. Followers of Jesus Christ, Easter is not about those things. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Resurrection Sunday that we're here to celebrate. It's Resurrection Sunday because it reminds us of the power of Jesus' resurrection and how that resurrection changes everything. It changes the way we live our lives. It changes even the way we die. It changes what we do. It changes how we change. It changes uh, what we hope for. That resurrection changes everything. I remember the first time the significance of the resurrection weighed down on me. I grew up in a church, and it was fine, but it didn't, it didn't occur to me till I was <clears throat> in my 20s that, that it mattered to me. It, it made the difference to me. And when that happened, I, I just, here's, here's what was happening in my mind. I was thinking, I want this to be true. <laughs> you know, I need this to be true because I, I want forgiveness and I, and I need someone or something to take my shame. And so, you know, that's why I, I guess believed in the resurrection is because of want and needs. And here's the thing with truth. Truth is harsh. Truth doesn't care. Truth doesn't care if you want something or need something. Truth doesn't care if you like the truth or don't like the truth. Truth is independent of that. Truth just says, you know, take that. That's what truth does. And so truth matters. No matter whether you want it or need it, it still has to be true if you want to believe in it in something reasonably. I want to tell you a little bit about my story and how... Uh, the resurrection has changed my life. And the reason I'm, I'm telling you that my application of how the resurrection changes lives is because I bet it's a lot like your story. Because all the stories are the same, they're just very specifically different because the resurrection, it changes everything and everyone that it touches. It changes uh, your career. It changes what you might want to do when you grow up and, and, and for a living because when, before the resurrection impacted me, I, it was my life, my dreams, you know, my plan. But if the resurrection's true, then it's not my life. It's not my, my dreams, not my plan. It's God's plan for, for my life. And I need to determine, you know, what I might be good at and how I can please God with the gifts that he's given me. And so uh, my, I guess, junior year in college, I was in a business speech class and the assignment was to interview someone in the career that you hope to be in someday. And because the resurrection changes everything, I wanted, I guess, all my options open and I wanted to be available any way God would have, you know, his way with me. And so I interviewed uh, an attorney and a Catholic priest. And I think, I think that pretty much is everything, right? I mean, everything falls in between an attorney and a Catholic priest. I think a circus clown is somewhere in there everything. And what was interesting is at the end of it, it was the first time since when I was in sixth grade that it occurred to me that I might not be an attorney, that experience. A year later, 
I've loaded up everything that I owned in my little Volkswagen, 73 Volkswagen Beetle. It was probably illegal to drive, couldn't get it inspected, and I headed across three deserts heading west to seminary. I was going to go to maybe be a pastor. Wasn't real sure. And uh, I would travel at night because I didn't have an air conditioner. It was a full moon, and so I could see for miles, but there's nothing to see. And then I didn't have a radio, and so there was nothing to distract me with that. And the point is, I had way too much time to think. And this is what I thought. I'm driving out to seminary, and I thought, this had better be true. This being like Christianity. It, it better not be a lie, the whole resurrection thing. Because my plan was to drive out there and live out of my car until I could find somewhere to live in Los Angeles for $90 a month or less. And a lot of you don't know that you can fold down the backseat of those old VW Beetles, and it, it sleeps one kind of like a, a medieval rack, it, it, very uncomfortable. And that's what I did. And it, you know, it just, it needed to, it was really important that it was true. It occurred to me, maybe a little late, but it occurred to me it better be true. I think, let's, let's look at that for a second. I think one of the reasons that, that there was so much in the story of the resurrection that is given to just the safety and the security of the, of the tomb itself seems to point us to the direction of, no, no, you can rest assured that part of it is, has ample evidence. I mean, if you look at just, again, there's this giant stone that is rolled in front of the cave where Jesus was buried, and it falls into a socket. It weighs about two tons. It would take four to six men on a good day to, to take that out of that, that slot. And then, and then there was a, apparently Pontius Pilate, because of the uh, wicked uh, religious leaders at the time, had, had them put a, what's called a Roman seal. So they put a rope across that rock, that stone, and then would put some kind of a sealant on both sides of it and then brand it with the governor's crest. And if that seal were ever broken by someone, that person would be killed. That's not all. In addition to this giant stone and the Roman seal, they also had a Roman guard placed there. The word is singular, but it's kind of like the word platoon. It includes um, as much as, as many as 16 different soldiers highly trained fighting men, and the, the, there was no way, you know, they, they couldn't lose somebody they were guarding, or if they even fell asleep on the job when it wasn't their rotation, they would be killed. The point of all of that is to suggest this. No one got by those guards, that stone broke that seal to steal that body. That didn't happen. It was safe and it was secure, and it's the only time in history that a, a burial included the flight risk of the person that was buried. It's a very strange story, but Jesus did rise from the dead, and since he did, therefore, I need to evaluate my life and potential career based upon how God would like to use me most effectively, because the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes what you could do for a living. Resurrection changes the way you change. <laughs> it changes the way you change. Two years uh, after school, I, I was still in school, but two years in, I was getting married. And because I was in seminary, I was studying the covenants that are in the Bible, and I knew the weight and the gravity of the marriage covenant and all that it meant. So typical for me anyway, just five days before I'm supposed to get married, I'm in a full-blown panic. 
And so I call a friend of mine who had been married for quite some time, and I said, listen, Bob, I, I can't do this. Here's the thing. I have never made a commitment in my life that lasted four years or more, and that was for college, and it was still all about me getting ahead. Marriage covenant is swearing to God that I will sacrificially love and serve for the rest of my life. I can't make those promises. And, and I mean, I would have to be an entirely different person to be able to be a good husband. And he said, whoa, calm down. This isn't up to you. All you have to do is say tender to the Holy Spirit and follow God wherever he leads. Because, yeah, God is going to change you through the power of his Holy Spirit. You have to stay surrendered to that, and he will make you more like Christ in all of life. He, he said, I didn't know this at the time. He said, you know, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, he said that same power can make you into the selfish thing you are now, into the selfless, loving husband that you need to be. See, the resurrection changes everything. It changes how we change. And so if, if we need radical, intrinsic change in our soul, it's based on the proof that the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead. And so I think, it, it, is it any wonder that, that no one ever even doubts that the tomb was empty? I mean, there's negotiations on how it became empty. There's various theories on that. But listen, no one ever says it wasn't. When Mary went there, it was empty. When, what, Peter and John got there, it was empty. When the disciples came to the tomb, empty. The soldiers woke up, empty. The Jewish leaders, when they got there, it was empty. The tomb was empty, and no one's ever disputed that. And if you think about it, just think of it this way. Just within a few weeks of after the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, all of his disciples, his followers, are running around Jerusalem where it happened, and they're saying that Jesus was raised from the dead and he's alive. It's all good now. Now, if, if, if they were just hallucinating or just really wanted him to have been raised from the dead and the tomb wasn't empty, all the leaders would have to do, the, the opposition, they just go to the tomb, roll a stone away, pull out the body of Jesus, maybe hang it on the city gate and say, okay, that's it. And the end of Christendom right there, just another dead Messiah. But that's not what happened. God wanted to make sure that we knew the resurrection story so that we would, it would take away any doubt about whether that tomb was empty or filled, whether they went to the wrong tomb or not. He wanted us to have confidence in this, that the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead indwells our souls and can change us and to make us like Jesus. Later on, when we, Melinda and I became parents, we made a decision that we weren't going to parent and make decisions in a parental way based on fear or shame. And I thought, boy, that's, that's a great commitment, except <laughs> I would have to stop being afraid and shame-driven. And God changed that. By the power of his Holy Spirit, that same spirit that rose him from the dead. That's why that resurrection, it changes everything. It also changes, in my experience, and probably many of your experiences too, because of the resurrection, it changes the risks that you're willing to take because it changes how you keep score. 
After graduating uh, from seminary, Melinda and I came to Austin, Texas, loaded up everything in a really small little van. It's all we had. We came here during the worst economic recession since the Great Depression. And we came here to start a church just from scratch, just the two of us. It did not go well. What little we had, we lost. And we, would, we were so poor, we would, eat, we would go to free happy hours like two or three times a week just to eat. And those are, that is the nastiest food you will ever eat. But when you're young, you can eat almost anything. It's, I swear, it's still in me. It's still trying. All those preservatives are trying to work its way through me. And I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I think we'd committed two to three years to this and nothing was happening. And I just said, honey, it was a terrible mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. This was wrong. And, and, and what little we had is gone. And there's no plan. There's no, I don't know what's next. And I'm sorry, I've, I've been reckless in our decision-making. And here's what she said. She said, well, maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't have come to Austin. But know this, God will make the most out of what's left. Because here, we, we don't define success in any other way than living by faith. And sometimes living by faith doesn't look like success. Here's how we keep score. We will humbly follow God's promptings. That's how we keep score. That makes taking risks a lot different, doesn't it? It wasn't soon after that conversation that uh, a radio station here in town, KLBJ AM, asked me to join a team of, of people that would have people call in a live you know, show where we would interview scholars from all over the world that, that practice their faith in their discipline. And listen, friends, after, after a year and a half of, of these interviews, I realized that in every field of study, in every avenue of the academy, in the hard sciences and the soft sciences, we could find men, or, men and women who loved Jesus Christ and had profound and substantial reasons for their beliefs. They all, they all had an understanding of some kind of creation story about the philosophical proofs for the existence of God, uh, a defense of absolute morality, the purpose and meaning in life that can be found in, in a divine being, every one of them. God in history has given us men and women of extreme intelligence that have either one been the pioneer of that discipline of science or even to this day, they are leaders in those disciplines and they are practicing their faith and they are applying their faith in that field of study. And I, the point is, I needed that kind of like intellectual confirmation because we were making risky decisions that were costing our family in many different ways. And if I was going to change the way we were gonna keep score, that resurrection needed to be true. It was true. And that changed everything. The resurrection, it changes how you hope. One of the benefits and gifts of being a pastor is you are part of some transcendent moments in people's lives. I still find myself at weddings almost watching the whole thing from outside. There's power in a covenant. When we pray for people on the stage here, we, make, we have baby dedications, family dedications. 
I don't know what's happening. Honestly, it feels sacred to me. It's certainly transcendent. But not all transcendent moments are happy. Um, I've been part of uh, a number of, of fatalities, deaths in the family, and there's a deep angst that can alter a soul that can change a personality when a person loses someone very close to them to death. And sometimes it's magnified when it's sudden. And the one I remember specifically that I'd like to share with you is a friend of ours was uh, past, way past her due date, and so they were going to induce her into labor. And the very night before she was to give birth, something happened. And that little baby girl, she died in her mother's womb. And so the next morning, she had to give painful, anxious, overflowing dread birth to this little girl. And Melinda and I were there. And friends, that was the most beautiful little baby. And it was, it was perfect. And it was without life. And we, because of circumstances, we had to have the funeral pretty soon. And so we did it there in the hospital chapel. And we were all concussed with grief. Nobody really remembers much. And during the funeral, I thought I would just inventory the hopes that we had with this little girl, being friends with our little girl, all the dreams. This girl that was taken from us before she was even given to us. What's the saying? The smallest coffins are the heaviest. I got to my car, and I couldn't start it. I was so angry, and I just, I just remember clenching my teeth, thinking I could, I could shatter a tooth, and I wanted to. And when I, was, when I was in that context, I remember shaking my fist, saying, that resurrection, it had better be true. It had better be real because I'm tired of watching death have the final say. Death is our final enemy. It's the bully that needs to be broken. Look what the Bible says about that. It says, then the end will come. When Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all the dominion, all the authority, all the power, and he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes. And the whole point of the resurrection is to prove that that promise is true. The reason there's so much evidence for the resurrection, the reason Jesus rose from the dead is simply this, to prove that death was destroyed, to prove that, that there will be justice, to prove that love is stronger than death. That was the point of it. That resurrection, it changes what we hope in. It changes how we hope. And all those proofs, right, all the proofs of the resurrection, they, they help us have a reasonable hope right, in life after death, in an ultimate justice of good conquering evil. And I mean, is it any wonder, is it any wonder that there are, what, uh, 
over 12 experiences or sightings of Jesus Christ after the resurrection from the dead. He appears to sometimes just individuals like he does with Mary, he does with Peter. Sometimes he he appears to small groups of people like those two men on the road to Emmaus. He appears to groups of people. He appeared to the disciples. And then in one situation, he appeared to over 500 people all at once. Why is God so generous with all of these appearances after the resurrection so that when you are in all black, sitting in your car, you can't even start it, and you start wondering, you start banging on that steering wheel, and you start wondering, you won't have to wonder long. The reason there's so many proofs for the resurrected Jesus Christ and his sightings is so that you won't have to wonder for long, that your hope is placed in the right thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, his power over death, his conquest of evil, that, that was a down payment on future things. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even if they die, they will live forever. There were some people during his time on earth that they said, look, Jesus, with all these promises that you're making, can you give us a sign? And he said, you wicked and perverse generation. I'm like, well, I'm wicked and perverse. If that, I'm looking for a sign too. I want, a, I want a sign. I want a sign. I need something to hang my hope on. He said, you wicked and perverse generation. As Jonah spent three nights and three days in the belly of a large fish, so the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights inside the earth. That'll be your sign. He gave that sign. He proved his promises to be true. The resurrection, it changes everything. It changes lives. That's one of the proofs for the resurrection, you know. There's so many stories of people that have this before and after change. Their lives are altered. I've told you my story because it's probably a lot like your story. It's been the story all along. If you look at 10, 10 of the 11 disciples followed Jesus for two years, promised all kinds of bravery and defense of the king. And on the day of his crucifixion, they were all running for safety. They were hiding. If they could have changed their identities, they would have. They were cowards. And then they saw the risen Savior, and they became men of valor, of honor, of courage, and of those 11, 10 of them died for Jesus. One of them suffered till the end of his life. The resurrection, it changes everything. It changes lives. It's been changing lives for 2,000 years. There's people in this auditorium whose lives are changed. They, they, they use their vacation time to go on some mission trip to help other people. I wouldn't like them before the understanding of the resurrection. There's people that give sacrificially to the causes of the kingdom of God. There's people that serve sacrificially in his church because their lives were changed. The resurrection changes everything. It changes lives. Now, some of you, I I would imagine you might be new to this idea of how much change the resurrection implies and the consequences of the resurrection. And so you, you might, if you want that change, if you want to be part of the family of God, I want to tell you how to do that. It starts off really bad. 
the first, I guess, step in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and becoming part of his family, having the resurrection apply to your life, is an understanding that you are in a desperate state before the holiness of God. And most people, they try to earn God's love. And if they're any even remotely good at it, it causes them to become proud. If they're not very good at it and they have a pretty tender conscience, they realize they're anxiety-ridden and they live with doubt. That, that model needs to be destroyed. The first step in having a relationship with God is quitting, is just quitting trying to please him by your conduct and your disciplines. It's kind of an insult to him. You don't know how bad you are if you're still trying. The second step is the realization that the only way you're going to be approved by God is if he just gifts it to you. Only grace can get you in the right place, and that is the definition of Christianity. It is grace that changes. Here's what changed my life. I had known for a number of years that Jesus died for everyone. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I realized Jesus died for me. It, were, it, was my, it were my crimes against God that put him on the cross. If I were the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have died for me. I crucified Christ. And when you realize that, you not only take responsibility for his death, but you also take responsibility and you inherit the things he promises on Easter Sunday. He takes your shame and gives you honor. He takes your weakness and gives you power. He takes your guilt and gives you an innocent bill. That's what you do. You put your faith in that death and the proof in the resurrection. If you want to know more about that, there's a, there's, I think Jeremiah mentioned there's a tear off in your bulletin. Please fill it out. Check that second box that says, I want to be part of this resurrection of Jesus. I want to be part of this family. Please call me. Let's talk more about that. I'd love you to join the followers of Jesus Christ. I think we're all kind of like... Uh, disciples of, of Doubting Thomas. I love Doubting Thomas, right? He's the patron saint of people that risked a lot, made a lot of decisions based on the proof of the resurrection and just wanted to be sure, right? He just wanted to be sure. I'm a follower of, uh, of Thomas. I like him a lot. He wanted it to be true. He needed proof that it was. Resurrection changes everything. It changes your ambitions. It changes how you keep score. It changes how you hope. It changes how you live. It'll change the way you die. All these promises, all wrapped up in the resurrection. Some men uh, came to Jesus and they said, what authority do you have to give out these kinds of promises? And he said this, you tear this temple down. He's talking about his body. You tear this temple down, and in three days I'll rebuild it. That's how you know I have authority. And so they did. And so he did. And that is the resurrection story. And that changes everything. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, oh, dear Lord Jesus, betrayed, tried, crucified, raised again. Lord, we are grateful 
that the only way we could be healed from our, sh our shame and our sin and our weakness is for you to take our place on that cross, and, and you chose to do that. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. Lord Jesus, on this Resurrection Sunday, I'd ask that you would help us in a new way, in a deeper way, understand the power of the resurrection and how it can change us. It changes us from the inside out, the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Lord, we celebrate this day in what you've done for us. And Lord, our lives are a gift back as an expression of worship so that we might live for you. Praise God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.